That's on 551 in the Pew Bible. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us this morning. It's an honor to have you with us. It is wonderful to be together to study God's Word and to worship Him. We want to continue a lesson that really the first part of this lesson was a part of our Summer Faith series that we had Wednesday night. And so we will quickly review some of those things, but if that's something that you have an interest in hearing, you can request that tape to hear the first part Wednesday night. But yet, even if you did not hear the first part, what we'll cover today, in a sense, can stand on its own. And so uh, we'll continue that study today as we study a most important topic. It's not an easy topic, it's a wonderful topic, and it's a challenging topic, and it's the topic of marriage. Unless the Lord builds our house, we labor in vain. Who's building your house? And as we think of that, we want to think this morning, especially as it pertains to who's guarding our home. You know, oftentimes individuals will come to the conclusion that if I have a good marriage and, as the expression is oftentimes given, if divorce is not in my vocabulary, everything's okay. Nothing could happen in my life that would destroy my marriage. I want you to realize that having a good marriage is something we all ought to strive for. I'm not belittling that. I hope that we can honestly say that divorce is not an option for us, that we absolutely do not want that. I hope we can say that. That's wonderful. But this morning, I want to make a plea to you to realize that those two things alone is not enough. We have to have boundaries that we're using to protect, allowing God to establish those boundaries and finding protection within those. And then once we have established those boundaries of protection, making sure then that we're focusing back on the inside, that is the marriage. In other words, the hedges that we build about are walls that protect the marriage from outside sources that would tempt us to defile that marriage. And then on the inside, we need to make sure that we're building. As we had that lesson Wednesday night, and I studied even more Thursday and Friday, I had an, a wonderful privilege of going to lunch with some of our finest here. I ate lunch with some of our high school students Friday, and uh, after that we walked straight from El Rey's to one of their favorite stores. We walked to the Goodwill store. We did a little shopping in there. And as we were shopping in the Goodwill store, I saw this plaque, and I immediately thought, well, yeah. That says exactly what we've been trying to say, don't do. This little plaque here, cost every bit of 99 cents, says, he loves me, he loves me not. It matters not, I'm what he's got. <laughs> I would say that was probably written by someone who said, you know, divorce is not in our vocabulary. And so I'm not really worried about a great marriage because after all, he's got me. He can't get rid of me. What a terrible attitude. Let's make sure that when we think about how to build a marriage that we're not complacent. And let's make sure that when we talk about guarding that marriage that we never grow weary in that. 
Because a good marriage is something that you and I would have to work on as long as both shall live in order to obtain it. Let's give a quick review of where we were beginning Wednesday night. If we look in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 3, we read the importance of looking at our own vessel. And he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess, now notice this phrase, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. And they're not talking about our own body. How do we possess our body? He says, do so in sanctification and honor, not in passion of the lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. Now, as we look at the next slide, we saw some of the things that we talked about Wednesday night. And that is, we talked about the fact that on the first column, we see what the will of God is if we're possessing our vessel as it ought to be possessed. And that is, we look at our body and say, it's not my body. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, verse 18, 19, and 20. We've been bought with a price. So therefore, we're going to use this body the way God wants this body to be used. One of the things that God would say about using this body, He would say, set yourself apart. Be holy. In other words, stay away from the things that would defile the body. Be pure. But also, in this setting, he would say one of the things that we must do if our body belongs to the Lord is that we abstain from sexual immorality. That is, any kind of sexual activity outside the boundaries of marriage between a husband and wife is wrong. It defiles the body. Now, looking at the next column, we see that if we did that, we'd be living like those who do not know God, and we see it would be like those that are heathens, and it would be like those that are driven by the passion of their lust. Now, we talked about a lot of things as it relates to that. Be turning, if you will, to 2 Timothy, the second chapter, as we wrap up this point. But note this. The thing that we were really trying to drive home about point number one, about possessing our vessel, and that is when we talk about what can I do for my marriage, oftentimes we think about what we can do for the other person or we think about what we could do together. Point number one in this, when we talk about guarding our marriage, the first place we must start is with ourselves. What are we doing with our vessel? Now, one of the things that we're supposed to do with this vessel is we're supposed to flee fornication. It's said like this in 2 Timothy 2 and 22, flee also youthful lust but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. As it was mentioned Wednesday night, youthful lust doesn't mean simply sexual desires. It could be many things, the pride of life and other things, but definitely included in this would be fornication. And so he says, flee youthful lust. When we think about fleeing something... I need to conjure up in my mind the image of a building that is on fire and seeing people running out of that building. You say they fled the burning building. When you and I see temptation, when we see temptation that would cause us to defile our marriages, do we see how close we can get to that temptation without crossing over because after all, we wouldn't want to violate our conscience? Or do we have an attitude that says, I see that temptation and I'm going to run as fast and as far as I can from that temptation? Joseph fled from fornication as if it were a fire. He left his coat behind and would not even turn to go back for his coat. Friends, there is a living example in the Scriptures of fleeing fornication. 
Now, when we think about this, we think about the conversations we've had with our children. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, Emily and I had this discussion about, now, do you understand, if the house is ever on fire, you don't run back for any possessions. You don't run back for a favorite stuffed animal. You don't run back for a book. You don't run back for possessions. Those things can be replaced. Do you understand that? Now, all of us that are adults, we understand clearly why that conversation took place. How dangerous it is to go back towards something that we ought to be fleeing from. Now, do we as adults understand that when it comes to protecting our marriages? How foolish it is to see something that is so deadly but yet casually stand around it. Maybe even take a few steps towards it. Or maybe even take a few slow steps away from it. Any of those options are so dangerous. God says when you see something that jeopardizes your soul and jeopardizes your marriage, you flee from that. Now, we looked, as we looked at the next slide, Wednesday night of a fellow named Jerry Jenkins that has written a book, Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It. Here's some things that he suggested that he did in his own life, and he says he's not saying that all Christians would have to have these same things, but the reason I wanted you to see these things is because he brings to light the idea that we all must have boundaries. We all must have hedges built into our life, our conduct to protect our marriages. Here's some things that he said he did. Number one, he would not go out to eat with another woman. He travels a lot on business. He has a lot of business engagements, and he always invites a third person to come along. And if he is out of town and doesn't have a third person to invite, he tells them to invite a third person. This is a hedge that he's put into his life, and this is what he does to protect his marriage. A second thing that he said was touching. You know, when you think that lust is in the heart, and the way that the heart fuels itself is by the five senses. Touch is a powerful sense. And so it is. We must be very careful with touch. A married individual must place boundaries in their life of what they deem is appropriate and inappropriate in touching someone of the opposite sex. A third thing that he mentioned was compliments. There are some compliments that simply are not appropriate for those that are married for the opposite sex. We need to make sure that we have placed boundaries in our life so that we refuse to make those comments of compliment to someone else that's not our spouse. A fourth thing that he mentions is, flirt, is flirting, flirtatious conversation. This is wonderful to experience with a spouse. But it is deadly to participate in that outside of the boundaries of marriage with another. And he places those boundaries, those hedges in his life. And any time a thought might run through his mind or an opportunity might avail itself, he will not pass over that hedge. At least that's his goal. He would not do that. Also, five and six are things that he points back into his marriage. He wants to have a frequent uh, memory and, and convey that memory to his wife of the vows that he made to her and how much he loves her. He wants to do that on a frequent basis. The last thing he says, he wants to have quality and quantity time with his spouse. 
Now, the truth is, as uh, Kirk Nelson even mentioned as we were visiting uh, Thursday, he, he mentioned this same slide here, and he said, you know, he said, really, all six of those things are things that we ought to be doing for our spouse. And it's a good observation that these are the things that when we look inward, these are the things that build that relationship. And it's only logical that if these are the things that build the relationship with our spouse, how foolish would it be to practice those same things in building a relationship with someone that is not our spouse? And then, let's go to 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. In 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, we look in 33 and 34. We noticed also how important it is to please our spouse. Some of you may remember reading an email that went around a while back and it gave a list of things that were recommendations for a wife to do when her husband came home from work. And this was back out of a textbook in the 50s. And if you'll remember that, it said things like make one last pass throughout the house and make sure that all the things are picked up so the house will look nice when he comes. Go and wash the kids' faces and make sure that they're presentable and don't let them be playing with loud things or running through the house. Have them be sitting still and to be quiet so that your husband will find a comfortable home. Make sure that dinner is prepared and is on time. Make sure that you do not ask him too many questions about work when he comes in. And it's this long list of things that offends most women today. Now... It's interesting that if, in fact, that's a double standard, I can see why it would be offensive. In other words, where in that book did it say what husbands ought to do to please their wife? Well, that is ridiculous, isn't it? But now, isn't this interesting? What if our culture has come so far from the fact that it wasn't the double standard that was offensive? What's offensive is the idea that I'm supposed to live my life every day thinking about what pleases another person. I would say by the divorce rate today, that's probably the most offensive part to most people today. We are geared up in American culture that it's about me. And I tell you what, I'll marry you, but I'm still number one. Don't try to be number one. And I'm not going to treat you like number one. My life is not to please you. My life is to please me. Now, do you think that's true? Well, even back in the good old days when we say hardly anybody divorced back in the 30s, one out of four marriages ended in divorce then. In the mid-50s, one out of three marriages ended in divorce. And today, beginning in the mid-80s, two out of every four marriages end in divorce. You see, what I'm suggesting to you is this idea that things are horrible today compared to back 75 years ago. They weren't so great 75 years ago. One out of every four is not a great success rate. What's the point? I'm suggesting to you that the American culture has had it wrong for a long time. God's way is always best. Now, I am not saying to you that that illustration I just gave to you is the way God says that a woman has to do it. I'm not suggesting that. But I am telling you from the scriptures that we're about to read, God expects and demands Christians to be concerned about whether or not they are pleasing their spouse. Here's the way he says it, very straightforward. Verse 33, But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Now there is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. 
But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I went back just to make sure that the word please in the original language means the way we convey it and understand it today in the English language, and it's exactly the same. He's talking about what brings joy and what brings pleasure, what brings satisfaction in the life of a husband or a wife. The other is supposed to do the things that would do that. In other words, it's the idea of not living a selfish life. I'm concerned about the happiness of my spouse. That's what faithful Christians must have in their mind and in their daily activities. Concern for the other one's well-being. Now, what's interesting is the context and the way this is revealed to us. Did you notice there he says, now the one that's unmarried, the one that's unmarried has much more time to do what would be the work of the church, what would be kingdom work, to be involved in daily things that it's obvious that they're directly related to the work of the Lord. He says, but yet over here, on the other hand, here's someone who is married. They don't have as much time to do those things because their responsibilities include not only doing the work of the Lord, but also as a part of the work of the Lord, pleasing their spouse. Do you see how important God makes that? I want you to imagine an individual that did not marry until they were 30. I have a friend that is a preacher, and he didn't marry until he was in his young 30s. He would go to the office every day and he would study and prepare marvelous sermons. He'd go about and he'd visit everyone in the congregation. And when most people were settling back in their homes for the afternoon, the evening, and night, he'd go back to his office and he would write. As a matter of fact, he's the one that publishes House to House, Heart to Heart that we're so familiar with. You see, for many years, he was able to write day and night. I remember talking with him over lunch when he was thinking about marriage and him talking about, I know that once I get married, I'm going to have to really change my schedule because even though these things are important, God would expect me take care of my wife. See, that's a perfect illustration. How important is it to please your spouse? God would say it's so important that I know that you can't do as much married as you can single in the work of the Lord. That's why so many times we see individuals that have never married being able to do tremendous things for the Lord because they have so much time to do so. And that's why those of us that are married have a challenge to make sure that we keep the priorities right, that we're doing the direct work of the Lord, but realizing that taking care of our family, taking care of our children is also the work of the Lord. Now, let's think about all of these things that we've covered here, about our own vessel and about fleeing fornication and, and, and about making sure that we are setting out in our lives to please our spouse, I'd like for you to think about, with just the last few minutes that we have here, how all this relates to communication. 
We're going to be able to build stronger hedges if we're honest with ourselves. And we're going to be able to build a stronger marriage within if we are able to communicate. Communication is the way we build strong relationships. It's the way we resolve conflict. And on and on the list goes. You take communication out of a marriage and you have lost the heart and the fuel of the marriage. It is vital. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Most of the time, folks do not go to this passage to study communication within marriage. But as I look at what this passage teaches, although it's not speaking specifically about marriage, it is speaking about communication among folks in general. And these principles apply perfectly to marriage. And so let's read some of this. We're in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and we're going to start reading verse 25. He says, Therefore put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Number two, he says in 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let's skip 28 and go to 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed from the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. First he says, don't lie. We don't need to lie to ourselves, and we certainly don't need to lie to the other. Truth builds harmony among individuals. If you take harmony out of any organization, out of any relationship, you will not have a strong relationship. When we think about the harmony of the physical body, all the members working along together, how detrimental is it if one member of the body deceives the other member? What if you were walking along here as I am, and what if your eye said, there's not a step right there? How harmful would that be to the rest of the body? It could be painful. And so it is, we see how important it is for all of the body to work together in harmony. Truth builds trust. And trust is a vital stone in the foundation of building blocks. When a husband and wife can't honestly, sincerely, to the depths, trust each other, they never will experience the depth of a rich relationship that they could otherwise experience. We must tell the truth. Now, dropping back to that topic of the barriers that need to be built, we have to also tell the truth to ourselves. You see, if you have someone at work that is beginning to become a temptation for you and you refuse to admit it to yourself, you will never deal wisely with the barriers. One of the first things that we have to do in that scenario is not only establish the barriers, but we have to deal truthfully with ourselves. And we have to be willing to move away from certain relationships if that is the need in order to flee fornication. 
Now notice also, we read in 26 and 27, about not letting anger grow, not harboring it, not allowing it to become a part of our relationship, a part of our life. Now, if someone said, well, how are you supposed to handle the anger between a husband and a wife? I don't see any exception clause here. I would suppose that what the Lord taught here is the same for husband and wives also. And that is, he would say, your anger should never be, and if you want to stretch it to the maximum, it should never be more than about 23 hours old. You see, you could stretch it to the maximum and say, well, it's already nighttime, and, and I can be angry with him or her until the sun goes down tomorrow. Okay, that's the maximum. But if it's midday, you only have a few hours to resolve the anger. You see, God's not nearly as concerned probably with whether or not it's three hours or four hours, but God's concerned with the idea of days. We do terrible injustice to our relationships whenever we allow things to brew and whenever we allow them to stir within but yet do not address them. Someone says, well, I just don't know how to address it. That's why we're talking about communication this morning. Communication is important. There are counselors that can help you learn how to communicate with each other. Just as whatever your career is, you had to go to school and you had to be taught how to do that and you had to go through training classes. You know there's some people that have never learned how to communicate? I want to urge you this morning, if you've never learned how to communicate, don't settle for being ignorant in a topic that hurts your whole family. But instead, become a student of good communication because you can never have a great relationship without it. Also, notice he talked about there in verse 29, let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth. Now some of you, when I'm about to say this point, you're going to say, well, yes, surely everybody knows that. And there are going to be others of you that you're honestly going to think nobody does that. Nobody really does. They're just hypocritical and they don't want people to know. God says, let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth. Not just a few, not occasionally. He says, no corrupt words. I want to challenge you today to never call your spouse another name. Never. Not one that's corrupt, that harms the relationship. I want to challenge you to never swear or curse at your spouse again, ever. There's some that are probably thinking, there's nobody on earth that does that. And I'm telling you, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of couples on earth that do that because they're striving to live a Christian life and they believe God's Word when God talks about how important communication is. We can't build a strong marriage and verbally be tearing each other down on a regular basis. It is impossible. If I'm going to guard my marriage... One of the best things that I can do is to make sure that with the very next point where he talks about edifying, building one another up, let's make sure that we are building each other up. Think how terrible it is for a person that's living with someone that's common. It's a common practice for them to tear them down verbally. 
Think how pitiful it is for them to think, I've got to go to work just to be around people that make me feel good. I've got to get away from the person, quote, that loves me the most in order to feel like I'm somebody. Friends, that's not God's plan. That's the design in God's plan is that you and I would live with individuals that would make us feel as good about ourselves as anybody alive. That's God's plan. Now notice also he said in verse 31, stop the things that pertain to maliciousness. The wicked, the bad, the evil, stop those things. And then, notice how he ties up in 32, to be kind and forgive one another. If you made a list of the three or four or five people that you love the most, and you've got that list in your mind right now, and then you made another list and said, these are the people that I've been rude to in the last two weeks. You got that? Here's a list of the people I love the most. Here's a list of all the people I've been rude to in the last two weeks. I wonder how many people on our list over here of the ones we love the most are the ones that also we've been rude to. You know, life is made up of habits. Sometimes we have good habits and sometimes we have bad habits. And I want to challenge all of us here today, if in our relationships we've gotten into the habit of being rude, we've gotten into the habit of tearing one another down, we've gotten into a habit of lying to each other, we've gotten into a habit of just being plain out malicious, mean, today is a wonderful day to say, that's over. I don't want to do that any longer. I want to build a strong relationship, and I want to build one that is worth protecting, and I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to be a vessel of honor and of purity. This morning, if you're not a child of God, one of the things that God would love for you to do is to use your tongue to confess His name, to confess that He is the Son of God. And if you're a believer willing to repent of sins and make that confession, won't you be baptized into Christ this morning for the remission of your sins? Maybe you have been baptized into Christ in the past and you've allowed sin to separate you from God and you need to confess that sin and repent of that sin and pray forgiveness. Let's make sure that as we leave here today, we have a a renewed commitment within to make our homes the very best that they can be but realize that it starts first with us individually. If you need to do something with your own life and your own soul at this time, and if it's something we can help you with, won't you come as we stand, as we sing?